for those of you who are worried about families that have like seven kids in them and uh, in this survey, we've got a special algorithm that will take into account so that uh, they don't get a, a greater vote than maybe if you were single. Um, and if you believe that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, I do want to say we're excited. This is a special week for us because we have uh, about 100 women or so away on retreat. And I think we have some pictures of them in regard to already there. Shelly McKendry is leading. Shelly used to be our uh, pastor of community and connecting. And she is an incredibly good and gifted speaker. So they're enjoying, uh, I think, a great. I know they are enjoying a great time. Someone just texted me yesterday and said, this is the best. So... Um, they're having a, a great experience together. I know also I've seen in Facebook, we've got families who are traveling down south and families who are ill and, and people watching on live stream. And we just invite you and thank you for um, being a part of our service this morning. I'm going to ask you to um, stand with me and we're going to pray. I want you to get the blood flowing again. Okay, move around a little bit. How many love winter? Okay, let's pray for you. <laughs> Father, we ask that you would be gracious to those people who got excited, and even more so, you'd be gracious to us who are waiting for spring. But God, we live in your presence, and we are grateful for that, and we're asked that this this morning, in this time, um, as we open your word, that you would help us have a better understanding of our our own hearts, our own lives, and how um, we can be more fully the people you have created us to be. And so we thank you for each person here and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks. How many of you have heard of, uh, of Winchester, Virginia? Well, there's a few of you have heard of Winchester, Virginia, because uh, it is one of the most fascinating Civil War stories that many people are just not even aware of that town and, and that region and all it went under. It's located in the Shenandoah Valley uh, it's the most, it was the most contested town in the Confederacy during the American Civil War, which means it was right kind of on that line between where the fighting was throughout the whole five or so years of, of conflict. And, and during the conflict, the city changed hands between north and south. How many times do you think? 74 times. And the conflict finally took its devastating toll on the city and the region economically, but the people emotionally were, were in depressed and in, in places of incredible discouragement. In July of 1863, just a few years before the war had ended, so it still had going to change hands a number of times, Robert E. Lee wrote his wife these words, Poor Winchester has been terribly devastated and the inhabitants plundered of all they possessed. The region that had once flourished, now to all, to all the fighting over the same thing again and again and again. As Robert E. Lee wrote, this conflict had left them Devastated. And I bring this up because the same can be true when we think about our connections with one another. 
And specifically, I want to talk about connections in marriage relationships. It happens in the family, it can happen in business places, and what can happen is when the fighting is continues again and again, just think of like a piece of tape, and you just keep pulling it and 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 pulling it, and finally, the stickiness, connectedness loses its ability to do what it was meant to do. And so fighting over and over again, and often in marriages, it can be fighting Anybody relate to this? Because I do. Over the same thing again and again and again. That conflict can leave your marriage devastated. And often when you have family with children and you have children who kind of, they get the shrapnel of the war. And it impacts them in so many different ways. It impacts them in the way that they look at what marriage is going to be like. It impacts them in the way that they feel connected to you even as parents and and. And you can love them all you want, and there's still a deficit that happens so often in that kind of conflict. And I'm not bringing this up because I'm trying to shame anyone. It's just a reality. And it's a reality that God doesn't want us to experience and live with. And, and that God has the ability, through his Holy Spirit, to bring about changes for people who say, I want to see that change. And even if you're saying, but yeah, my spouse doesn't want that to change. My partner doesn't. They don't want... Here's the truth. If you will begin to initiate changes even within yourself, it doesn't guarantee there'll be changes. But when you do things within yourself, it does bring about changes externally. It's a much better place to be than doing the same thing over and over and over again. There's a recent survey of 75,000 married couples by a, a new marriage health app called Lasting. And they said the five topics that married couples fight about most are, can you, can you in your mind think, can you turn to someone and tell them what you think it is? And if you're turning to your spouse and you're saying, and you're saying the same thing, I've already got you started already. Okay, here's what they are. They are how exactly cleaning gets, um, yeah, how exactly cleaning gets done. <laughs> now catch this, this is the second one. This doesn't really make sense what clean, clean looks like. <laughs> but I vacuum switched, you know. How often to have sex. How much mobile phone time to have. And what to spend money on. Anything sound familiar? We're going to talk about three of them. Money, sex, and power. Under all of them is this, is usually some kind of power struggle, but there's sometimes that's not just a power struggle, there's other things. And I'm gonna, without any apology, we're gonna at one point talk about sex, and I know you may say I've got kids in the room, if you, if you don't think they're not hearing about this stuff at young ages, you know one of the great things about the Jewish concept of, of, of life and family was that kids were grown, they grew up and they saw and they heard and they understood all of this. And now we live in a culture where we're so afraid, in fact we're afraid to sometimes even talk about it very honestly in the church, so our kids end up hearing it in all the other places. So I, I, I want you to know that I think this is important in kids if you're here and it raises questions and if parents, I just want to, if you want to kind of step out, that's fine, I get that. But a union that was once full of joy and promise, torn apart by a couple civil and sometimes not so civil wars, is not what God intended. And so the first is money. And, and money, I want to say, is not necessarily always a root issue, but these are all three somewhat symptomatic of something deeper. 
And when I talk about these things, all these things could need necessarily to be worked out in relationship with a professional or someone or a small group somehow in some ways where you can do it in a safe and a in a good place. But here's a question I want you to consider. What pain would you rather live with? The pain of continual fighting over the same thing, specifically in a financial area. Let's talk about financial areas. It could be any place where you um it could be house, roles, etc. Or the pain of developing a plan together to deal with this. They're both going to require pain. And this pain that I'm talking about is going to require intentional pain. Which means we're going to sit down and figure out. You kind of ask yourself the same question. Are the continual fights over your finances. Let's say it's just an area of finances. And we're going to talk about money here. Is it worth the pain it brings between the two of you? I remember in my home... As a little kid, I can tell you, I could, I could mark on the calendar the Tuesday evening it was when my mom would take out the checkbook and she'd start to work through the checkbook. Now my dad ran some very large organizations as a leader, a gifted leader, but in our own home, there would come this time and I, we would know that that night was going to be a night full of fighting. Because my dad had big picture stuff, and my mom was, you know, anybody remember checkbooks? Uh, and we had once a month, you'd get that little statement, and you would go through to reconcile everything, and my mom was a person who was down to the penny. And my dad said, it's close. I can tell you I heard that probably a hundred times. Even as a kid, I thought, can't you outsource this? <laughs> But you don't outsource necessarily those things. They can sometimes help, but there's something deeper often going on. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, goes to something to the root of it all. And it's the root of many of these disconnections that we find within our relationships, and specifically marriage. It says, what causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That's a great thing to underline. What is causing the quarrels and fights? Desires. If you get nothing else out of that in this message, that is like super important information. You want something, but you don't get it. Anybody been there? You kill and covet. Anybody do that? Not by kill. You go after it and it doesn't matter. What happens in one sense to the other person? Because you're gonna, you're covet, you're gonna, you're gonna get what you want. And so you quarrel and fight. And you didn't have because you did not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask again with wrong motives. Underneath those desires are motives. You might want to underline that because that's a very important part of understanding these disconnections that happen on a superficial money, power, and sex issue level. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Whatever it is, it will make you feel good. Often in the moment. A great deal of fights, let me just share with you, around finances are not primarily due to the lack of money, but to the lack of discipline. And I want to also say, I know in my life there was a time, um, due to the easy credit, which is getting a little harder to get, but you can still get it. We used to get in the mail all the time, you know, 
take this money out for your, you know, you've got room on your home mortgage, go ahead. I remember going into a time where I went into debt and my wife and I lived under the bondage and pain of that. And I just want to tell you that if you're in a place like that, this, you know what, is not a place to, to move to shame. It's really a place just to get help. Because Jesus says it, James says it rather bluntly, much of our fighting and quarrels are due to our own sinful, undisciplined desires that believe happiness and fulfillment will come from our next purchase or experience. Which drives us to overspend or to live for the next experience or to take the next island vacation, which you don't need to do because guess what? Next Sunday... We're having an island vacation right here for you. Just wear your shirt and it'll be warm in here, I promise. But I think we hate the word. We hate the word financial plan or the, the word that I don't even like to use anymore is budget, right? We just don't, don't like that. Cleaning can be the same way. You know, it says the two big issues is, you know, cleaning, who's going to do it, and what does clean look like? And you can put together a plan of responsibilities. And my wife and I learned that rather late in our life. I wish we'd have learned it earlier. But if you put that plan together, then you got to choose to follow through on it. So you build trust. Let me just talk to you about the importance of a plan. Here's why it's so important. Here's what James is getting at. And so we're going to drive into this really quickly in this area. And the first is this. A plan will help you become a team. If you're doing this alone, I, some people, are, you know, I'm not talking to you if you've got someone who's really good at managing a budget and really well concerned and, and together there's a power struggle thing going on, you may be working it just fine. But I can promise you if you really want to do this in a way that works well, because we've done it all, of them, my wife and I, I've done it, she's done it. What we learned to work best is when we humbly came together and said, let's start meeting together. And what's interesting is this. When you put a financial plan together and you start to work on that plan together, I was amazed at how it created a sense of team. We began to work, and it, it was honestly one of those that I look forward to these meetings. We don't have them as regular as we used to, but we, we have them now because we have this general plan in place. And, and I, I have to share with all the modern technology and programs, you can get things that can help you do this well. And you might need some someone to come around you. We will, as a church, if you would need that, just call our constant. Through any of this, if you need it, call our constant center. We will help arrange to help people create better, better connections. But it will it will actually help create connection. And in the process of doing that, if it raises up other issues, that's really good. Because then you can kind of start to say, okay, what's under this? What's the desire? Because it helps you. A plan does this. It helps create teams. The second thing it does this is it actually disciplines your desires. And when you put a plan together, it kind of says, like, if you put a plan together that you're going to go to Chicago, it means that you're not going to go, and you need to get there in a, in a, in a day or two, you're not going to go to Omaha, right? It kind of, once you see a sign that says a certain direction, you go, oh, we're just not going there. It's a predetermined course of how you will act. So that when you go down the grocery aisle or through Target or through Gander Mountain or you browse Amazon or whatever it may be, it helps keep your desires in check. So not only if you do this as a team and say this is what we're going to agree to and this is going to be something that we're going to build our lives together a bit more on, it then helps you, the next step, it helps you together discipline those desires. And then it moves to a third thing that I think is really important about putting kind of plan together, whether it's a financial plan, you can put this in other areas of your life. 
It helps you discover your deeper desires. James says it will require prayer. It will force a kind of dependence between you and God and you and another person as God teaches you to delay gratification and to develop self-control. Not only will it discipline your desires, it will help you discover your deeper desires. It will lead you to prayer as a couple, and it will force you to ask a simple question. Together, what does God want? What does God want? The asking process itself helps you begin to move to the deeper desires. James says in chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. So he says, you know, you sit together, you go, what does God want? And then verse 3 says, when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Jeremiah made a really important point in his prophetic word. He says the heart, it comes out of nowhere in 16. All of a sudden he goes, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, the heart is the seat of our desires. It's under that with our motivations. And he says, who can understand it? And here's the reality of what James tells us and what the word of God tells us is, guess what? God gets it. He sees your heart. He understands what's motivating it. He understands what the desire is. He understands that. And what he does is when you work together as a team and you discipline your desires and then you begin to start moving to a place where he uncovers those deeper desires, you begin to understand what's moving your heart. And when you humble yourself and ask God how he wants you to spend the money that he's allowed you to earn, that he's allowed you to earn, he will help you uncover often what lies beneath the desire to spend. And you may discover what Jesus says, that the truth will set you free. It becomes a self-discovery process. Revealing truths and exposing our hidden motives, things we may not even have been aware of. It might reveal to some of you in a place where you're at, where you go, start to reveal and go, gosh, I've been trying to live up to my parents' standard of living. They took 40 years to get there. I want to do it in 10. It could reveal something as, as simple and basic as the fact that when you see your friend do this vacation, you inside go, I want to do that. And you find yourself measuring not only your worth and who you are by someone else's debt that they're accruing. It's really interesting. What often can happen is that God can begin to tell you and show you that so often what our desires are about is they're about being loved, they're about being known, they're about being admired, they're about being valued, they're about finding significance. And when you can get to that level, I can't name it for you, but when you get to that level, you begin to find a freedom that only God himself can fill. And you may discover why you want what you want so badly. Jesus said anyone who wants to follow him will take up their cross and deny themselves. And what will happen in the process, how you begin to unveil these deeper desires, is that through the denial, it only works this way, through the denial, as you discipline and and you're in that place of denial, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, sometimes this is what's going to happen. Through the pain of that denial, you may discover longings and desires that you weren't fully aware of. 
Longings that only God can fill in ways you could not have imagined. And not only does it help you discover these deep desires, it helps you determine your real needs. And I'll make this quick because it's, it's, it, it helps you define what are mere wants from mere needs. I remember my daughter was two years of age. She was playing in the floor in front of me. It was before I understood screen time wasn't a good thing. We used screen time like babysitters. And so my daughter's there. She's watching TV. She's half interested. She's playing with a toy. And we've got that on. And she's playing with the toy. And I noticed at one point that momentarily the TV got louder. The colors more vibrant. The action changed and was more movement. And and it was just drew your attention to it. And it drew my daughter's attention to the screen. And it was this really neat little commercial about some kind of toy and she watched the entire commercial and I watched her over her shoulder as well. And when it finished, my little innocent daughter turned, looked at me and said, Dada, I want that. It's amazing what sparks our desires and what a plan, a financial plan, a budget whether it's even a, a, a putting your household responsibilities on a plan with one another can do, it, it helps you determine ahead of time what you really need so that in the moment when someone calls or this thing comes up, you can say to the little child inside of you, no. No. Because without a plan, as James indicates, we are merely tempted to spend what we get on our pleasures and those unchecked desires will lead to fights and quarrels. And so do you want to live in the pain of that continual fighting which creates shrapnel or do you want to live in the pain to make a choice to say even if I and we can't do it, we're going to get help to get this because this is so essential to our life. And then it helps you really develop character. And we all know this. By saying no to impulsive desires actually develop character. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denial is basically delayed gratification. Psychologists call that, you know, we call it self-control. Jesus said denial. Psychologists call it, you know, delayed gratification. There's all kinds of study upon study upon study that show you how it develops character over a lifetime. There's a marshmallow. Some of you remember the marshmallow survey. There's all these different ones, but they're, they're all saying the same thing. That when you say, God, I'm going to listen and get in touch with the deeper desires that drive me and be set free from that so that we can have the connection that we need in our relationship, what God begins to do through that process of that pain is he begins to develop character in you. And he does what he promises he will do. If you notice, it says in the fruits of the Spirit, which are things only the Holy Spirit develops. So in prayer, you say, God, what do you want? We're going to do this as a team, God. We're going to do this in such a way that we create connection with one another. And through connection, we're going to build the kind of relationship where you can and have control in our lives and can bless us and bless others. And as we go through this, we're going to allow you to do this work. And what God does is he begins to pour out his Holy Spirit as you participate with him and he grows things in you like, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And guess what is the last one? It bookends with love. The expression of love is also the bookend of self-control. 
It is that which develops the character of Christ. The Christian walk, to walk like Jesus Christ, means whatever your cross is. And I can tell you, we think of it as such weird ways. It's the very basic things in life that drive us. It's in our finances. It's in how we care for one another by taking care of a home and what is clean. And we, we want to put it off somewhere else, but it's, it's in our life to life. And when we grow in the character of God's love, in, in the character of Christ with one another, what happens in that connection is it allows for great connection for your kids and it allows for connection for you to be a connector of others because you understand deep in your heart what is true often in other people's hearts and desires. A, you know, this is a plan, approach to denying your selfish desires is a planned approach to allowing the godly desires to take root in your heart. And God's deepest concern is not whether you have a plan or not. God's desire is that we don't become enslaved to harmful, selfish, pain-producing desires that disconnect us from one another and from him. And God, our Father, loves us so much, he wants our best. That's why there's an entire book called Proverbs that talks about stuff like this. Just practical wisdom. And so not only does it create team and discipline our desires, discovers, helps us discover deeper desires and determines what are real needs versus wants, it also develops character. Now I'm just going to be talking about a plan. So financially, I'm just going to give this to you quickly. Many of you may be aware of this, and I'm just going to tell you this is how the plan works. And financial advisors across the board will tell you that this is kind of the plan Basically, uh, with what you've been given and what God has allowed you to earn, he says take 10% of that and take 10% of that and bless others with it. That's that's one way to look at it. It says, honor the Lord your God with your wealth in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. With the first fruits, which is this word tithe, which is 10% of all your crops, then your barns will be overflowing. Uh, Then I can bless you. You bless others and I will bless you. So interesting thing that God says that. It's not health, wealth, get, you know, you do God's things God's way and all of a sudden he's going to give you, you know, the lottery win. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about acting out in principles that make a difference. And so in the word of God, he says, use that. And one of the things we encourage people to do, because if you're not in a place where you're giving that 10%, we say, we would love to help pass that on to others. You are blessing others. And so I always encourage people to say, well, how much do I give to the church? I go, you know, wherever you get your most food, that's where you need to kind of help feed. The other is this, 10%. It says the word of God is kind of interesting. Bless others with that first 10%. And then he, then he talks about this. You know, it's that love your neighbor as yourself. If you're going to bless others, you better bless yourself. So you invest the first 10% in others. Guess where you invest the next 10%? In yourself. And here's how you do it. You set it aside for retirement or you set it aside for a, a rain day fund. You take that 10% and you say, God, I'm going to put this aside. So now it leaves you what? 80%. And that 80% is what you're called to enjoy your life with. It helps you understand what your mortgage should be, what your food bill should be, what your vacation, all the different things. That's just a simple plan. So I'm done with that. But if you haven't heard that before, that might be helpful. It's just a 10, 10, 80 Bless others, bless yourself, and you can live on the rest. Okay. The point we've all been waiting for um, is sex, right? No. That's not what I've been waiting for. Um, where do I begin on something like this? 
We have a culture that's just perverted it. We have a a religious basis that has shamed people with it, and we have the the word of God which celebrates it. Um, I would love for you to know in Genesis it says this. After Adam sees Eve, he says, wow. And then it says, "Why a man? this is why a man leaves his father and a mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Two distinctly different people with different backgrounds, raised in different families, with different expectations, with different experiences, with different values, wired differently, with different needs, with different desires, with different approaches to life, the way they handle finances, the way they clean, the way they, their work habits, on and on and on. God takes two completely different people and joins them into one emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and that's where the problem begins. They're just two different people. I'm going to ask Beth if she would come forward, and she's going to share. Beth is one of our counselors, on, and she's, in fact, the lead counselor, I think, been on staff for 15 plus years. 17 on staff. 17 on staff. And, and I, I'm going to ask her to share, but before I do, I'm going to say one of the reasons God has given a couple um, their sexual relationship, and I, and I say what the word of God says is intended best is for a man and a woman in a covenant-bound relationship, is what the word of God calls us to, for all kinds of different reasons. And we won't have a sermon on that today, but what I wanted to do is take time, because Beth um, has had an opportunity to work with um, a lady named Ruth Buzis. Is that how we say it? Buzis. She's been at our church a number of times. We've done this course with with um, ladies and even with men called Awaken Love. And and so I asked, I thought Beth could share a little bit about this, and we have this as a, as a way and a help for couples. Um, it does say the truth about sex that will transform your marriage. And I was wondering if you could give us the cliff notes. That's supposed to be funny. Um, in, in just one sentence. Do you want to just share a few foundational truths? Well, the first foundational truth. The first foundational truth that Kevin shared already is that um, our physical intimacy can transform us individually and it can transform our marriage. But in order for that to happen, um, we have to include God in that uh, relationship and um, look to his word for wisdom, understanding, and find out what his plan is for that part of our relationship. Another foundational truth is that God created sex for wives as much as for husbands. Sadly, um, many women think that um, it's just for husbands, just for men, and they think that it's their duty to meet their husband's needs. But that is uh, simply not true. Um, I often say that God blesses both ways, and that's what he wants to do in that physical act of intimacy as well. Sex is a powerful gift from God that connects us in ways that cannot be explained. It allows us to get to know our husband or wife in ways that no one else can, and it communicates what we can't say with words. In fact, it's a process of revealing who we are that should result in better sex, better intimacy over time as we get to know each other more intimately. Another foundational truth is that... um, that that part of our relationship must be based on God's design. He wants us to experience freedom in our marriage bed, but we have to deal with the lies, the baggage, the body image issues, those kinds of things that steal our joy in our marriages. With time, um, pleasure should increase. God did not intend for marriage to be boring. It's supposed to get better and better as we partner with him and invest in the process of getting to know each other better. 
I once had an intern in counseling who, who described it as um, receiving a, a precious gift from God on your wedding day. You receive your spouse as a gift from God and you spend your years together um, unwrapping and discovering the wonder of that gift from God. Another foundational truth is that sex is more than just that physical act. It is seeing each other naked and unashamed, as we hear about in Genesis. It is joining two into one, and it's communion with God. Too often, I think, we close the bedroom door and we think we're leaving God on the other side of the door. We would be wise to invite him in to pray, um, to invite him into that, that part of our relationship. We can learn to talk about sex in good and healthy ways in order to equip us and to encourage each other. And that is one topic, as Kevin mentioned earlier, that is seldom discussed. Even in marriages, couples seldom talk about that part of their relationship because it feels awkward. Um, We seldom discuss it in church, and this is exactly where we should be discussing it because it's God's idea. It's his plan. It's a wonderful gift from him. And actually, physical intimacy is um, about our relationship with the Lord. It's an illustration of his passionate love for us, his desire to be in relationship with us, his desire to fill us with his presence, with his spirit. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It goes on to say, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. That is a good foundation. What are some practical things that you discuss and have been discussed in classes? No names. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, one of the things that I mentioned already is prayer. Um, and and when, you're have, when you're enjoying that intimate relationship, you can pray. You can praise God. You can have praise music playing. Um, there was a woman in one of our classes who said that as a result of taking the class, she and her husband started commu- serving communion to each other during that time of intimacy. So there are many ways you can in- involve God in that, in that special time. For some, that might be like lack of under. You know, how do we do this? There's just so many things that that is. I had an opportunity to go through this class as well with Ruth's husband, led a group of some guys, and you've taken a few of these as well. Um, are there a few things that you kind of share and say, husbands, this might be wise for you to know, mm-hmm. and wives? Yeah, um, wives. It's important for us to be aware, and this is one of the beautiful things that Ruth teaches that. Our husbands, um, we often think they just want the physical pleasure, but actually it's, they, they often want to connect with us. One of the things I've heard often in counseling, I've heard women say, you know, we had a fight, and then as soon as we resolved the fight, my husband wanted to have sex. I just don't get that. I can't. My emotions aren't there. But what if that is a husband's way of saying, I really want to connect with you. I want to secure the bonds of our, of our relationship. And... Um, Husband, wives, you and yeah. I, one of the things is just because of time. I just look at this and I just say um, there are so many things that I think w- could be talked about that could be really helpful. But I think one of the best places is is to do that in some kind of a, a, a men's or a women's group, and we are more than open to doing that. I think um, it's important often um, that uh, husbands don't even understand this is you know how how relaxed that a wife has to be or cared for and things such as that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is, it's necessary for women to be relaxed, to be able to enjoy that time together. So husbands, one of the things you can do 
is help with the kids, can put the kids to bed or do the dishes or clean up, things like that, because we women often have a list of things to do on our minds, and it's hard for us to relax when we're thinking about those things or when we're, we're hearing children cry. So that's one thing. I was thinking about, you know, if your wife is away on the retreat, one of the things you could do is um, clean up the house, have the dishes done when she comes home, and just help her... Uh, feel welcome and not feel overwhelmed. Figure, figure out what clean is, though. <laughs> There's something that Ruth says here that I thought was really interesting because you kind of say, you know, part of the reason God does this is because we're so different. It's part of the way He helps us grow into oneness and actually helps us with our with our desires and our selfishness and what it means to serve. She says many women question why God made sex so complicated for us and so easy for our husbands. We can feel broken or defective, but if sex were easy for both of us, it wouldn't create intimacy. Vulnerably sharing our needs, praying over baggage, having hard conversations, under each, understanding each other's insecurities, extending grace to each other is what creates intimacy. And if sex were as hard for husbands as it was for wives, I think this is funny, she says, both parties would probably just give up. So um, she says it is about... And this is one of the things I just want to, it is about helping us learn how to craft our desires together in a way that helps create a connected relationship. There's a group that's going to be coming, and it won't be around sexuality, but a group called Traverse that we have coming up in a few weeks. That right. You want to share a little bit about yeah. that? Because we're concerned about having um, healthy a healthy community, um, we're going to partner with a, a group, Traverse Counseling and Consulting. Um, we've partnered with them before. And they're going to come and do some um, presentations during the community hour. Um, they'll be talking about mental and chemical health, healthy marriages, health, healthy families, healthy kids, and also how we can respond, how we can identify if friends or other family members are having problems in their relationships. How can we respond? How can we uh, talk to them? And how can we direct them to some good, good resources? On March 17th, immediately following the services, they'll be, I believe, here, either there or another room, we'll be doing that. And we invite you to be a part of that. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. Um, Just want to share as they come forward this whole matter of power. Um, It underlies all this stuff. It's, it's all about either using your desires to power over or saying, God, help me get understand this, help me get underneath this so that I can use my power to love and to help. And, and that's part of getting in touch with the different desires in our life. ushers for the uh, caring fund if you would come at this time and take that caring fund they're also going to be handing out a survey that um, you can leave in the back on the way out so let's use this as a closing song
begin this series this next week, and we're going to go for seven weeks as we go in towards Easter. And so I'd really love for you to be a part of the church. I'm just challenging you to prepare your hearts for Easter. We prepare for Christmas, but one simple way you can do this is you'd see there's a, we're kind of asking people to take kind of a Bible challenge. And um, you can get it online, or you can go ahead and take a uh, snapshot up there if you leave that up there for a second. Um, and we'd love for you to, to read the book of John and, and just note for those signs, those places where there is a significant work of God and encourage you to just kind of say, God, through this time, as we go through Easter, help me get in touch with your heart. Because John is, is a book, a gospel that is just, it talks about living from your heart and, and living that life in a way that people see beyond this physical reality into a reality that's deeper and more present. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for um, your word. We pray that you would continue to um, help us have a better and and fuller understanding what drives us, what motivates us, and and how those desires um, can either connect us or disconnect us. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.